This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. With me is Chris Katulka. Today we'll be dedicating our episode to our latest issue of Israel My Glory. Israel My Glory is our award-winning Christian magazine, and it's a bi-monthly publication that's been teaching biblical truth about Israel and Jesus the Messiah since 1942. And later in the program, we'll share with you how you can receive a free one-year trial subscription to Israel My Glory, so be sure to stay with us. Steve, I always get excited about our Israel My Glory in-depth episodes when we get a chance to focus on our magazine. Um, and this entire issue is about Elijah the prophet, and I think it's going to be a fantastic one. Uh, we're going to be looking at the life of the prophet Elijah, what was going on around him as a prophet. And also, we're going to have Ty Perry, who is a Friends of Israel representative in the Las Vegas area, and he's going to share about his article that he wrote called Confrontation on Carmel, which is all about the prophet Elijah's battle against the prophets of Baal. So be sure to stick around. Years ago when I was growing up in a suburb of Philadelphia, I I can remember listening to the news and hearing about a guy who went to see the Liberty Bell. And back then, you could walk right up to the bell. Uh, There was no barriers. There was nothing preventing you from even going and putting your hand up on the bell. And I can remember hearing about this guy with shaggy hair and a bushy beard pulling a small sledgehammer out of his backpack and striking this piece of American history several times right in front of all the tourists shouting, God lives. And I was in Bible college at the time when this happened, and I thought to myself, this guy, he lost his mind. And it was during this time when I was taking a class about the prophet Ezekiel. And let me just say this. God commanded Ezekiel to do some interesting things himself, like shave off his hair and burn some of it and cutting some of it with a sword and scattering the rest of it. You know, he was even commanded to bake bread in Ezekiel 4 over dried human feces. You know, and I started to think, this guy who whacked the Liberty Bell sounds a little bit like Ezekiel. A a prophet's job, listen, a prophet's job was never easy. A, A prophet had to withstand the strong current of the culture he was living in and announce to Israel that God isn't pleased with the way that they were living. And, you know, let me tell you something. As we move from this guy in Philadelphia to the prophet Ezekiel, let's focus here as we're talking about Israel, my glory, our most recent issue, which is all about the prophet Elijah. And and to fully understand a prophet and his calling from God, you have to understand the political and religious background happening in Israel. You have to both know and understand the law of God. So if if you're going to understand a prophet, when you read through the prophets, you have to understand what's going on in the background in the prophet's life uh, and in Israel's uh, current political situation and religious situation. And you also have to understand the law of God. So you have to almost have a newspaper from the prophet's time telling you what's happening politically and socially around them. And you also have to know what the culture they were dealing with was going on in that moment. And see, Elijah's ministry to Israel, think about this, Elijah's ministry to Israel begins actually 50 years after the kingdom split in two. Uh, The year is around 870 BC. The kingdom that King David built and expanded, the kingdom that King Solomon grew even more, eventually split in two after Solomon dies. And the division of the kingdom severely weakened both Israel and and Judah. Uh, They both lost power, they both lost land size, and their military was weakened, and even their economies shrunk as well. However, about 50 years after the split, a new family took control of the throne in the northern 10 tribes of Israel. It's called the family of Omri. 
King Omri and his son, King Ahab, begin to rebuild and renew the 10 tribes of Israel. They grow it, they make it stronger, and they really emerge as a leader in the region. They did this by strategically creating and pursuing new policies. This is what's going on around Elijah. When Elijah wakes up in the morning and (laughs) reads uh, the 10 tribes uh, times uh, in the morning, this is what's going on around him. First, the first king, King Omri, renewed a close alliance with the Phoenicians. Uh, and, and this was established when King Omri's son, Ahab, marries Jezebel, uh, who is the daughter of the king of Tyre. Uh, and this renewed alliance between the Phoenicians and Israel, it really brings about an economic increase for the northern ten tribes. And Omri and Ahab aren't the only Israelites to make such a deal with them. You know, this idea of building a relationship with the Phoenicians actually goes back to David and Solomon. Uh, You know, for for the Phoenicians, Israel was a source for agriculture, and the Phoenicians would use Israel for their major trade routes that flow through the land. So Omri and Ahab reached out and established and renewed economic alliances with the Phoenicians. That's number one. So this that's something big that's going on during the time of Elijah for King Omri and his son, King Ahab. That's a big deal. The second thing that's going on is this. King Omri actually reaches out to establish peace with the southern tribe of Judah. Remember, there's that split that's there. There were battles going on between the northern 10 tribes of Israel and Judah, and these battles were constantly sucking resources from both kingdoms. So when Omri begins to build a peace agreement with Judah, uh, he does this by, again, with King Ahab's daughter, uh, marrying one of the kings of Judah. So there's this alliance that is built between Judah and Israel. And this proves very valuable for the 10 tribes of Israel in the north. Twice, uh, Judean kings, that's the kings from the south, the kings from Judah, they provide assistance to Israel to take care of a threat that's in the north with the Arameans and and how uh, and also a Moabite rebellion as well. But there's a peace treaty that helps, and it also helps Judah as well economically. So both tri- both kingdoms are benefiting from a peace treaty that starts with King Omri. King Omri and King Ahab even rebuild major strongholds in Israel, and their building achievements. Uh, that they did were quite impressive in such a short amount of time. You know, I was just in Israel a few weeks ago, and I stood in two places impacted by King Omri and Ahab's building. In the ancient town of Megiddo, Omri and Ahab reinforced the gate system that played a vital role really to any uh, city in the ancient world. And they built a tunnel system from inside the city to help reach a spring that was outside the city walls. In the north, in the city of Dan near Lebanon and Syria, Omri and Ahab rebuild and expand an altar system that was established by the first king of the northern ten tribes of Israel, Jeroboam. And the two even established a new capital for the northern ten tribes of Israel. You might know this. It's a capital city called Samaria. They they purchased that area of land and made it the new capital for the ten tribes. And, you know, archaeologists have found Samaria was a capital city built with a Phoenician influence, little remains of Samaria. But, but, but what has been found has really shown a royal splendor in that city. King Omri and his son, King Ahab, when when you read the newspapers of that time, really seem to have taken Israel in the right direction. New trade deals, new relationships formed with old alliances, growing economy, growing infrastructure. That's the way the newspapers of Elijah's day would have presented the situation. However, 
there's a serious problem in Israel. Despite the growth, despite the expansion, despite the peace deals that were made, the problem was a spiritual one. It's the reason that God raises up Elijah. See, King Omri and King Ahab, as much as they did to impress man, they neglected the one who put them there to begin with. Omri and Ahab didn't just neglect God, they tried to replace him altogether. See, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, brought in a militant form of Baalism, the worship of Baal and the land that God promised his people. It tainted everything Omri and Ahab built. Jezebel's influence even made its way into the courts of Jerusalem in the tribe of Judah. When Ahab's daughter married Jehoram, the the king of Judah, even then Baalism made its way down into Jerusalem. See, friends, it's in the middle of all of this that Elijah mysteriously arrives. God brought a famine to the land to get his people's attention. God prevented the rain from falling just as he promised in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that if his people begin to go spiritually astray, God's going to turn off the water. He's going to turn off the rain. Why? So that he could get their attention because everybody is going in the wrong direction. And it's in the middle of Omri and Ahab's success. Think about it. It's success that God turns off the water to grab the hearts of his people. And he uses Elijah the prophet to draw them back. In the eyes of the world, Omri and Ahab were doing great. The country was growing. And after a devastating split in the kingdom, Omri and Ahab were the first to rebuild and renew Israel. But from God's eyes, Omri and Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord and sinned more than any of those before them. Look, sometimes I think it's easy for us to see material gain, economic gain, and strength as a part of God's blessing. But as we can see here, God uses one man, Elijah, to challenge those assumptions. You know, the other morning, my wife and I were reading through Philippians chapter 4, and and listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13. He says, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one, Christ, who strengthens me. Omri and Ahab were bringing abundance to Israel, but they were missing a key component to it all, trusting in the Lord. And what the Apostle Paul is showing us is that God's blessing isn't found in abundance, and it isn't found in need. It's actually found in the one, Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. This is what Elijah brought to the table when he looked at King Ahab and said in 1 Kings 18, 18, I have not brought disaster on Israel, but you and your father's dynasty have, Ahab, by abandoning the Lord's commandments and following Baal's. Stick around, my friends. Ty Perry will join us to talk about this epic divine battle, this epic divine showdown between Ahab's God, Baal, and Elijah's God, Yahweh, because I think you know who's going to win. Steve, years ago when I lived in Dallas, I, I met a woman who loved Israel My Glory magazine and 
actually she would use the articles in the magazine to teach her Sunday school class. Uh, in fact, she loved Israel My Glory so much that she bound all of her issues from the 1970s together and even cataloged all of the articles. Now, a lot has changed since the 1970s. A lot has changed since those days of physically archiving past issues. It has, Chris. Today, all our issues and articles can be found online. You, our listeners, can access our award-winning magazine on your phone, your tablet, your computer. Wherever you are, you can read the latest Israel My Glory issue, as well as archived past issues. Whether you're a pastor preparing your next message, or simply interested in understanding Jewish culture and customs, biblical prophecy, news surrounding Israel and the Middle East, we want to invite you to subscribe to Israel My Glory Digital today. Visit foiradio.org. You'll find a link to sign up for access to Digital Israel My Glory. That's foiradio.org. Ty Perry is a Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry field representative in the Las Vegas area, and, and he wrote this article in our most recent issue of Israel My Glory called Confrontation at Carmel. It's all about the battle between Elijah and and the prophet of Baal, prophets of Baal. And so, Ty, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be with you today. Ty, before we begin to get into your article, I, I want to look at the title. The title that you have is Confrontation at Carmel. Um, what is Carmel? Can you can you describe that? Yeah, so Carmel literally means vineyard or orchard, and it's a, it's a mountain range, not just one uh, singular mountain, but it's a mountain range in northwestern Israel near the present-day city of Haifa. Um, at the time of, of Elijah and the text we're looking at, it was a, a wooded area. It's, it's Still, it's a very beautiful area and was then. And it's an important place in biblical history, um, especially as it's connected with Elijah's showdown with the prophets of Baal. Yeah, you and I, we stood on Mount Carmel together. I remember several years ago and we looked out, you, you know, right from that area, there is actually a, a monastery there uh, called the Mukrata, where you're able to look out. Uh, it, it marks the place where Elijah killed the prophets of Baal, and it, it, you can actually look out and see the entire Jezreel Valley right before you, which is just a, an amazing view. So when you know Elijah's confronting the Ahab, he's looking out over the Jezreel Valley. It's a really a beautiful view. It is. It's gorgeous. Ty, you know, you call this in your article one of the most decisive battles between good and evil. Why do you, why do you say that? Well, I think anytime you're, you're talking about Israel, you have to look at it from the grand scheme, the grand picture. What's, what's going on here? Why is this included in the biblical narrative? So at the time of this battle, Israel was in the midst of a very dark period. Uh, politically, the nation was divided. God's word, the law had been abandoned for the most part. And um, in the northern kingdom in Israel, they had a king named Ahab, who scripture refers to as an evil man. Um, and he was one of many evil kings during this time in the northern kingdom. But he marries a woman named Jezebel. And she's this very awful Sidonian Baal worshiper who wasn't content with just worshiping Baal. She wanted to lead the nation in this idolatry. And of course, Part of uh, one of the obstacles that she had was that there were these prophets of the Lord, these people who had not um, decided to go and worship Baal, and she could not stand coexistence. So she was trying to kill these, these prophets. And this really isn't a conflict just between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. Um, it was really a battle for the future of the Jewish nation as a whole, and looking at that broad picture again, it, it ultimately was a battle that helped to ensure 
that the Jewish people would remain a distinct people from which uh, the word of God would come and, and the Messiah would ultimately come several hundred years later. So, Ty, take us to Mount Carmel. You know, this you, you kind of begin the story. You let us know uh, about the influence of Jezebel um, on the northern ten tribes of Israel. We know it even creeped down into Jerusalem um, because of her influence. Um, so she's really she's really had an impact on the northern ten tribes of Israel. They're going astray, and now this major confrontation happens between Elijah the prophet, who is 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 very confident in the Lord, and Ahab and the prophets of Baal. Can you take us up to Mount Carmel? Yeah, so this is a really um, interesting and, and pivotal moment in Israel's history, um, and we, we go we find King Ahab meeting with Elijah, and he calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. So right off the bat, you you understand there's some history here and, and plenty of tension, and Elijah says uh, he, he really issues this this command to the king. He says in uh, in verse 19 of 1 Kings 18, he says, now, therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of, of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And this is really important to, to note because these prophets of Baal uh, were probably not Sidonians. These are not uh, foreigners. These are Jewish people who are worshiping a, a foreign god. So what, what Elijah is going to do here is not only uh, stem the tide of this growing uh, cult, but he's really going to show the nation that serving God has implications and you need to decide you're going to serve God or you're going to serve, um, serve Satan ultimately. So Ahab, he, he does what Elijah says, and he gathers the prophets uh, to Mount Carmel, and he Elijah issues this, this ultimatum to the people, and he says that if the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. And the people didn't answer a word. And really, this is indicative of the, of the spiritual condition of these people, that they are, um, they're at this, this point in their culture where they don't even know it's true. They have they have one one uh, prophet saying, "Hey, follow the the god of your ancestors." Another, the king, uh, saying, "No, you know, follow Baal," and so they don't even answer him. And um, there are four hundred and fifty of these prophets, and and Elijah says to them, "Okay, here's here's the deal. Um, we're going to each have a bull and." Um, the prophets of Baal can choose one for themselves. They're going to cut it in pieces, lay it on wood. They're going to build this altar, but they're not going to put any fire under it. And then Elijah is going to do the same thing. And his, his ultimatum is, okay, you now call on your gods to, to consume this sacrifice. And um, we'll see, you know, who has, who has the true God. So it's a, it's a visual um, theater here. We're seeing, we're seeing this, this battle. And um, of course, the prophets of Baal, uh, they prepare um, and they, the verse 26 says that they called on uh, Baal from morning even till noon saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And I always, I always kind of laugh when I, when I read this because I think we often read um, the biblical narrative and we forget that the prophets were human beings with personality. And we see that so vividly in this account because Elijah says um, that Elijah mocks these, these prophets. And he starts saying, you know, um, 
hey, he's either a god uh, or he's he, or he is a god. Maybe he's meditating or he's busy uh, or you know maybe he's he's in the bathroom. I mean, he's just he's he's really mocking these guys. And they it says in verse twenty eight that the prophets of Baal they they're crying out loud and they cut themselves. And it says as was their custom. And so you think about the the holiness of God and the law he gives to his people and the dignity of the human individual um, that that this nation was supposed to embody and represent to the nations. And here they are, um, they're cutting themselves with lances, trying to appease or to, to really get the attention of, of Baal. And it's such a a bloody and vivid uh, picture. Ty, we only have a few moments left. Could you get us to that moment, that decisive moment where God reveals himself? Yeah. So uh, what happens is, of, of course, uh, the prophets of Baal are not able to have their sacrifice consumed. And Elijah douses his with water. And um, he calls on the Lord. And the not only is a sacrifice consumed by fire that God sends, but the entire um, altar, including the water that that had fallen into the trench uh, surrounding the the um, the altar, and so in this time he just it, it just shows okay God is the God of Israel is the only true God, and at this time there was a there was a drought in Israel, and um, this really uh, helped to the, Elijah lifted the the uh, the drought um, on the land and. Uh, he sees a cloud off in the distance and he sees that the rain is coming. So this, this not only brought spiritual refreshing to the people um, of Israel, the, the prophets of Baal are all killed down in the, in the valley, but it also brings uh, physical refreshing to the land that's been in drought for so long. So really an amazing account. Could you share with us, you know, this the, that question that Elijah poses? How long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? If the Lord is the true God, then follow him. If Baal, then follow him. H- how does this question impact the church, really? Where, where, how, how, how can we pull from this and, and learn from what Elijah is saying to a uh, really a culture that's gone astray? Yeah, well, certainly that's where we are as a culture, um, and the church has a decision. Um, we seem to be at a at a crossroads when it comes to a lot of issues, uh, sexuality and and abortion and, and many different issues in our culture. And uh, ultimately, the the question is: Are we going to be obedient to the Word of God as it's revealed and stand on it, or are we are we going to allow the culture to inform our our stance and our belief? And ultimately. There's only one right answer. Ty, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. We're glad you chose to join us today, and thanks to Ty Perry for being with us. Chris, as I reflect on what you said earlier on the program about Elijah, what's one aspect of his life that sticks out to you in light of your words? Yeah, you know, Elijah is such a mysterious prophet because he appears as if we've known he's been in 1 Kings the whole time. And and something about Elijah that really stood out to me was that he really went against the grain. He he stood out against the rest of the culture at that time. He was countercultural as a prophet, and, and he was shouting who the Lord was. When everybody else in Israel was going in the wrong direction, Elijah was calling them back to the Lord, and he was really one of the only ones doing that with the confidence to do it. And so, you know, it was a challenge 
challenge for me, you know, and I, and I hope it's a challenge for you as well as you're listening. You know, are we being countercultural in a world that's going in one direction? Are we standing for God's truth and, and, and remaining countercultural uh, for the Lord? Thank you, Chris. The Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry has been sharing the love of the Messiah and supporting Israel and the Jewish people since 1938. If you feel led to support our work or you simply want to reach out to us, visit foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. In the United States, you can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. You can write to us at FOI Radio, PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Call our Canada office at 888-664-2584. Again, in Canada, that's 888-664-2584. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallione, co-written by Sarah Fern and Jesse King, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong, and I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. 